The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. April showers bring Fed rate cuts. Goldman Sachs predicting when Jay Powell and the central bank may reverse course on their current rate tightening cycle. China's economic recovery hit another speed bump. Shares of the country's largest property developer are plunging, sending a chill over the struggling real estate sector. Stealing for a fight. U.S. Steel rejects a more than $7 billion takeover bid from Cleveland Cliffs, calling it unreasonable. The EV price wars are back on. Tesla cuts the sticker price on some models in China, ratcheting up pressure on rivals to follow suit. And the American consumer just continues to spend And not just on the essentials, the latest figures from MasterCard's spending pulse. It is Monday, August 14, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland this day, this morning. Let's kick things off with a check on U.S. equity futures. And it's a bit more on the positive side of things, at least marginally so. The Dow is implied higher by just about 33 points. The S&P just about eight points higher. The Nasdaq about 46 points. Now, it was a split week for the averages, with the Dow rising for the fourth time out of the past five weeks and the S&P 500 and Nasdaq seeing back-to-back weekly losses. The tech sector has been stumbling as of late. The Nasdaq 100 just capped off a two-week pullback of roughly 4.5%. That is the worst stretch for the index going all the way back to December of last year. Checking in on the bond market, reels in focus. The 4% level is still key, and we are just above that there. For the two-year note yield, or rather the 10-year note yield, the two-year note yield is about 4.9%. The 10-year note yield, 4.15%, a bit of a pullback on that longer end. The 30-year long bond, by the way, 4.26% there. In energy, oil prices are still perhaps a little bit more stubbornly high right now, above the $80 mark for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude prices, $82.73. It's down one-half of 1%. Similar percentage decline for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, currently $86.30. And then nat gas prices up about one and a quarter percent, $2.80 there. And by the way, keep your eye on grain prices. Speaking of commodities, wheat is up after a Russian warship fired warning shots at a cargo ship in the Black Sea just yesterday, heightening concerns over global food supplies, grain especially out of the Ukraine-Russia region. Wheat prices up to just about one quarter of one percent. 655 bucks there. Goldman Sachs is out with a fresh call, expecting the Federal Reserve to start cutting rates sometime in the second quarter of next year. In a note, John Hotsius and his economic team, Goldman now predicts the Fed will reduce rates gradually, 25 basis points or one quarter of 1% per quarter, starting in June, and then stabilize them around three to three and a quarter percent overall. Right now, Fed fund futures for January of next year at 5.4%. Now, Goldman says core inflation has slowed enough to warrant one final rate hike, which is likely to come maybe in, I'm sorry, in November. 
but does warn of a significant risk rates could still hold steady if inflation does not cool fast enough. So let's talk more about what all this means for the markets with Ben Emmons, senior portfolio manager in fixed income and macro strategy at New Edge Wealth. Uh, This is an interesting call only because it's not an interesting call. It's for the record now, but it kind of seems like financial markets have priced around this kind of a feel for next year and its rate path. Why is this Goldman note important or is it not? Is it just setting the benchmark for everybody else out there? Morning, Tom. I think it's important that, you know, the market is basically confirming what the Fed wants to achieve. It wants to get to this point where it could actually lower rates. And if you listen to people like Williams or Goolsby, they're in that camp. They believe that the rate roundabout is as high enough. And if you keep it there for some time, yeah, inflation will cool off more and then they can start cutting rates. Otherwise, they say that the real interest rate gets too high. I think that's important because we are at a point here where nominal treasury yields that just said earlier, you know, are over 4%. They may indeed start to affect the economy at some point negatively. So these rate cuts are, are in that sense positive if you believe that the, the Fed can achieve its goal of lower inflation, meaning positive for the economy rate cuts. So I think it's setting the benchmark. It's an important call, but we will meet it. We'll see, because as you also say, you know, you have wheat prices and energy prices. That's all in the, on the move. So I don't think we're exactly there yet to call the final rate hike. By the Fed. Ben, ben the, the, the conventional wisdom used to be, perhaps even still is, you don't fight the Fed. And obviously, because they've got a lot of ammunition when it comes to power over monetary policy in this country. But is there a point now where the markets are getting it right in terms of where they think future growth prospects are, where future inflation is? If you look at the yield curve right now in the short end with the two year and the 10 year right now at the steep or at, I'm sorry, close to the steepest inversion that we've seen in decades. Are we in a good spot for investors to take advantage of some opportunity with regard to at least the Treasury rate side of things? To an extent, we are. I mean, we're reaching the upper end of that range on the 10-year that's sort of between three and a quarter and, and say, four and a quarter. And really, that four and a quarter level, or maybe slightly above, is about that this Fed gets to its final tightening uh, rate hikes, uh, rate hike. And therefore, um, you know, there's a real good entry point, particularly because that core inflation is slowing down. But be wary, though, that we do deal with a fiscal deficit and more supply. So I think that keeps the pressure on rates to some extent. But that you're getting to an entry point is clear. I think the economy continues to moderate, and that means slower inflation. That means good returns for bonds. What what exactly, Ben, is your expectation for what that inflation picture looks like? Uh, the, The feeling right now is that we've maybe come close to this process of peaking and we could see some slower moves ahead. Do you feel as though there could be a flare up and, and could it catch the market off guard? That risk is always there, Dom. It, 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 the issue is that, you know, as you ex- explained, the, the wheat situation in Ukraine is one example, or just the recent surge in gas prices in Europe, or just seeing the oil prices moving a bit higher, it will challenge headline inflation again. And that could feed through core at some point. So that there remains a somewhat of a challenge. But I think by and large, having done this massive rate hike cycle, you know, it is putting pressure on inflation more or less say medium term. And I think this is what the market is probably right about. Uh, we're just going to have to have a little patience next number of months to see how it exactly settles out. But that inflation 
may not come back the way it did in 2022. Uh, because particularly core is probably right. And a big part of that inflation story as well is going to be the housing and living costs, real estate as well. We're going to hit that later on in the show as well. Ben Emmons, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Dom. Thanks right. for being on. Let's get a check now on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good Monday morning, Silvana. Good Monday morning to you, Dom. All right, well, U.S. Steel rejecting an unsolicited offer to be purchased by rival Cleveland Cliffs, saying the multiple proposals, which ranged from the acquisition of certain production assets to a takeover of the entire company, was unreasonable. Cleveland Cliffs telling shareholders it's ready to act on the offer immediately should U.S. Steel change its mind, though U.S. Steel says it's instead launching a formal strategic alternatives process. And don't miss an exclusive interview with Cleveland Cliffs CEO Lorenzo Gonzalez at 11 a.m. today. SoftBank is reportedly in talks to purchase the 25% stake in chipmaker Arm that is currently held by its Vision Fund ahead of its highly anticipated IPO next month. Reuters says SoftBank, which currently owns 75% of Arm, is negotiating a deal that could give investors a big boost in returns with Arm's IPO, looking to raise between $8 and $10 billion, valuing it between $60 and $70 billion. And Tesla is cutting prices on two versions of its Model Y SUVs by about $1,900 each and offering a limited-time insurance subsidy for its Model 3 vehicle amid an ongoing price war in China. Prices for some Tesla models have been slashed by more than 15 percent this year as Tesla looks to compete with stiff competition from Chinese EV makers, with Bloomberg reporting earlier this year that some Chinese-made Tesla models were selling for 50 percent less than in the U.S. and Europe, Dom. All right. That price detente is now over in China. (laughs) All right. Silvana Hanel, we'll see you later on. Thank you. A lot more to go here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. Why a dive in shares of one Chinese property giant is delaying a or dealing now a fresh blow to policymakers trying to shore up the world's second biggest economy. We've got a live report from Beijing coming up. Plus, we all remember how blowing smoke from the wildfires in Canada turned the skies over major U.S. cities, including here in the New York area, yellow and orange this summer. Diana Olick looks at the economic impact in our rising risk series. And Monte Carlo, St. Bart's, Aspen, the Caymans, what you'll need to start saving up for. And it's going to be a lot if you want to spend some time in some of the world's top vacation destinations for the ultra wealthy, at least. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Right now, U.S. equity futures are bid. But marginally so. The Dow's implied higher by 42 points. The S&P higher by nine. And the Nasdaq higher implied by about 53 points. So that's the U.S. market. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day is really just in the early stages. Giovanna Bersecchi is live in our London newsroom with the early market action out of Europe. Good morning, Giovanna. 
Good morning, Dom. Well, the handover from Asian markets was not so pretty overnight. A lot of focus on the, uh, some of the woes that are hitting the real estate sector there, in addition to some weak credit lending data. But you can see in Europe, for the most part, we shrugged off some of those concerns. The FTSE 100, the exception over here in the UK, down two-tenths of a percent. The main laggards being the oil and gas sectors, in addition to mining. So basic resources, any, any sector really that has linkages to China is coming under selling pressure today. But Germany's Zetradax up half a percent. Cacaron in France also up three-tenths of a percent as well. So leaning towards a more positive start. A couple of stocks on our radar, though. I want to start with Philips. And you can see that the stock is up more than 5.1% right at the top of the stock 600. This after announcing that the Dutch investment firm Exor has taken a 15% stake in the company, intending to become a long-term shareholder. Very positive reaction on the news, as you can see. And it's lifting other healthcare tech stocks in Europe as well today. And on to the European banking sector, UBS, again in focus today, trading north of 20 Swiss francs per share. This after Credit Suisse retail investors are reportedly planning to sue UBS challenging its buyout of Credit Suisse. Now, according to multiple media reports, a group representing more than 1,000 individual investors, including former employees, is planning to file a lawsuit in Zurich as soon as today. But you can see, for the most part, investors are shrugging off this news. Dom. All right, Jumana Bersetchi with the latest out of London. Thank you very much. Check out right now shares of Chinese property developer uh, Country Garden. If you look at it today, they're tumbling more than now 18% to a fresh record low in Hong Kong action, putting even more pressure on China's real estate sector, as Jumana pointed out, also its broader economy. So let's get out to Yunus Yun in Beijing with more on what's behind that drop in the stock. And uh, real estate is always important as a part of the economy, but it's ever, ever so important to China. Can you take us through what this means, Yunus? Absolutely, Dom. Um, the, the real estate market is, is really seen as one of the biggest growth drivers here because it's one of the very few ways in which people can invest their money. Uh, so uh, you had mentioned Country Garden. This was a once uh, very cash-rich developer. Well, over the weekend, it said that it was going to have to suspend trade in 11 onshore bonds as of today. And this is after missing $2 bond payments uh, last week to the tune of $22.5 million a mortgage. And Stanley cut the stock to underweight. And then Moody's had already downgraded the developer after uh, the company had said that it would likely report that it burned through $7.6 billion in the first half of the year. Uh, the state-backed developers are also reporting financial issues, so that's adding to the overall jitters. Uh, for example, state-owned Jinmao said in a filing over the weekend that it expects to uh, see an, uh, an 80% fall in net profit in the first half. A Sino Ocean, which is another state-backed developer, said it missed interest payments, a suspended trading for a 6% guaranteed notes that are due in 2024. And then on top of that, the fate of a private uh, wealth manager is also weighing on sentiment here because this company, which is called Dongrong, uh, had bet big on the uh, real estate industry and on a recovery. And now uh, companies that are its clients are reporting to the Shanghai Stock Exchange that it is having problems uh, making some of the payments uh, for its financial products. Dom? Eunice, the government's always a big part of the equation when it comes to the economy there, as it is everywhere, but it's a socialist government. <laughs> uh, are there any signs that government is going to step in at all to help prop up the ailing property sector and these companies specifically? Well, there has been a lot of 
talk about helping the real estate sector in some way. And last week, we did hear that the uh, securities regulator had uh, called in a lot of these property, property developers to see exactly what can be done about uh, the debt and as well as the, the overall uh, sales situation. Uh, however, today, uh, the um, authorities were noticeably quiet. And in fact, it's been hardly reported in the state media at all. All right. Eunice Yun with the latest there on what's happening with the property sector in China. Thank you very much. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, why Morgan Stanley is naming this one stock a top pick ahead of its earnings report. But with shares up triple digits this year, how much more room can it run? I mean, you kind of know this chart, right? We've talked about it so much. It's a hint. It's in technology. We'll have more coming up. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's top headlines. NBC's Jessica Layden is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Well, the wildfires in Hawaii have now become the deadliest in modern U.S. history. Officials are confirming that at least 96 people have been killed on the island of Maui, and they are warning that the number will likely climb. More than 2,000 homes and other buildings have been destroyed. Police say they've really just been searching cars in the streets, and as of Sunday, they had only searched 3% of the structures for people. Just so you know, 3%. That's what's been searched with the dogs, 3%. When we pick up the remains and they fall apart, and so when you have 200 people running through the scene yesterday, I don't know how much more you want me to describe it. A new class action lawsuit alleges the destruction could have been avoided if the utility company had de-energized its power lines ahead of this high wind weather. In a statement, Hawaiian Electric saying the utility does not comment on pending litigation, adding in part that the high wind protocols were followed here. FBI teams are now on the scene helping to investigate the cause of the fire. So, Dom, a terrible situation and only likely to get even worse in the coming days. Back to you. Our thoughts and prayers are with everybody out there suffering in Maui right now. Thank you very much, Jessica. Now, uh, there has been a lot of happenings in climate right now. There's been a lot of smoke in the area because of wildfires in Canada. This summer, smoke has traveled hundreds of miles from Canada, suffocating major U.S. cities from coast to coast. It's not only impacting our physical, but also our financial health as well. CNBC's senior climate correspondent, Dinah Olick, explains in her continuing series on the rising risks from climate change. From Las Vegas to New York City to Midwest metros in between, smoke from wildfires in Canada and the U.S. West is disrupting lives and impacting livelihoods. We won't know the full financial impact of this summer's smoke until it clears, but we do know that wildfire smoke reduced earnings in the U.S. by an average of $125 billion a year between 2007 and 2019, or nearly 2% of annual labor income, according to a study by researchers at the universities of Illinois and Michigan. Co-author Mark Borgschulte says those numbers are rising with the effects of climate change. The events that we've seen in the last few months are two to ten times as large 
as the as the events that we are we have in our study. Even one or two days with smoke, he says, can also trigger lasting employment losses and hourly workers without paid leave are particularly at risk. Substantial share of workers, if they don't show up for a job, they're going to they're going to lose that job. Declines in their firm's productivity or their ability to come to work can then be passed on to those workers in the form of lower earnings uh, that aren't possible to make up. That risk is not lost on major public companies employing thousands of workers globally. Amazon already had air quality protocols in place on the West Coast, like air scrubbers in warehouses, but this summer in Chicago, they were sending N95 masks to drivers, cutting routes short, and issuing alerts to employees to return home if they felt unwell. We are going to have to change the way we think. These events are not going to decrease. They are likely going to increase. What we are learning is that data is power. We are finding is the more data we have, the better we can react and the quicker we can respond. Minnesota-based Ecolab, which ironically helps large companies reduce their environmental impacts, saw four times the number of smoke warnings this summer than usual. Jeff Burt, senior VP of Health, Safety and Environment, said they may now use strategies they learned when COVID hit. We had to form teams. We had to follow data, science, and develop um, precautions processes, methods. We will do the exact same if the wildfire smokes continue throughout the U.S. and in other areas as well. Employee safety is obviously of utmost importance, but companies will now have to focus on their financial safety from smoke as well. The more smoke, the more financial losses will ensue. And like smoke, they could inevitably drift into corporate earnings and investor profit. Dom? Diana, it seems as if the, the wildfire smoke issues came on early, but how much longer is the U.S. mainland at least at risk? We know what's happening right now in Hawaii, but us in the New York area and certainly along the eastern seaboard and Midwest saw a lot of effect from those Canadian wildfires. Yeah, and it was definitely a strange summer because wildfire season historically goes from July through October. But in Canada, it came early. We saw the smoke and our wildfire season in the U.S. didn't start until later because we had such a wet winter and spring. But I hate to say, given all the heat that we've been reporting on and seeing all summer, Likely we're going to see more as we get into fall. And California still under heat advisory as well out there. Uh, Dinah Olick, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Still to come on the show, Apple's biggest supplier is out with its earnings report. Why even the world's biggest maker of iPhones and other electronics isn't immune from a drop-off in consumer demand. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Five twenty-nine a.m. Eastern Time out here in the New York area, and there's still a lot ahead on Worldwide Exchange. So here is what's still on deck. Investors look to shake off a rough start to August. Economic data and earnings from the retail sector could be big drivers of this week's trading action. Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, behind bars. Why a federal judge revoked bail for the disgraced FTX founder, sending him to jail ahead of his expected trial later on this fall. And you'd better shop around. The latest numbers from MasterCard spending polls show whether the U.S. consumer continues to spend and spend and spend. It's Monday, August 14th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which are bid, but marginally so. The Dow's implied higher by roughly 59 points, the S&P by about 11, and the Nasdaq up by about 53. So green, fractionally so. We'll see if that sticks. In the bond market, yields right now are rising on the short end, falling on the long end. The benchmark 10-year note yield is just about 4.16%. Meanwhile, a tick higher in the two-year note yield, just a hair above 4.90%, and the 30-year long bond, 4.26% there. Also, let's hit oil prices, which are fractionally lower in action so far right now. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude prices, currently down about a quarter, $82.92. That's about one-third of 1% decline. Similar percentage move in ice Brent crude futures, down $0.28 cents to $86.55. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried headed to jail after a judge revoked bail due to alleged witness tampering. Bankman-Fried was sent to the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, where he is expected to remain until his criminal trial at the beginning of October. The ruling comes after Bankman-Fried ignored warnings from a judge to refrain from speaking with the media or evading his bail conditions. Investment company Exor and Dutch health technology company Philips entering a relationship agreement worth nearly $3 billion. Now, with Exor taking a 15% stake in Philips, saying it's committed to being a long-term minority investor for Philips. Under the new agreement, Exor may increase its stake to a maximum of 20% of Philips' outstanding share capital, though Exor says it doesn't expect to buy more shares of Philips in the short term. And Foxconn shares dipping after the technology company beat earnings expectations, but reported a 1% decline in net profit due to slowing global demand for consumer electronics. Foxconn also forecasting for Q3 revenue to fall slightly, downgrading previous guidance for profits to come in flat, Dom. All right, Silvana Hanau with the headlines there. Thank you very much. You got it, Dom. Now, the American consumer is taking center stage this week as several big box retailers, including Target, Home Depot, Walmart, get set to report their quarterly results. You can see the calendar right there. We've also got July retail sales due out tomorrow, which could offer fresh insight with forecasts calling for a 0.4% increase, which would be higher than June's numbers as consumers continue to spend despite stubborn inflationary numbers. New data out today from MasterCard supporting this trend, showing an uptick in spending for the month of July during the summer season. So joining me now to take a deeper dive into those results in a first on CNBC interview is Michelle Meyer, chief economist over at MasterCard. Michelle, thank you very much for being here and sharing these thoughts. I wonder what you can tell us with regard to the upper level thematic kind of macro view on just how healthy the U.S. consumer is. We know how critical they are to the U.S. economy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Don. And thank you for having me on to talk about this data. Um, the spending pulse insights show that exactly what you said at the start. It's a consumer that wants to spend and they want to spend in a way that, you know, they're making the decision. It's their choice in terms of what they're purchasing. And for the month of July, it was a lot about back to school. I mean, for 
you know, feels like the summer's still here. We're going to enjoy the last few weeks, but we do know that school is approaching. We have to gather the supplies, um, and certainly electronics were a big part of that. We saw an uptick in spending there in the month of July. We had Prime Day promotions in July, July 4th holiday. So we're finding, finding that it's these periods of time that are really prompting consumer spending and consumers to go out and, and to deploy their purchasing power. Their purchasing power was deployed somewhat differently before the pandemic, definitely differently during the pandemic, and yeah. in a transition phase post-pandemic. Can you yes. take us through what some of those trend shifts are? Uh, I know that we you know, did take out food a lot during the pandemic. We still kind of do some of that. We dine out at restaurants a lot more now. Uh, I maybe buck the trend, Michelle, because I take less vacations because travel to those destinations costs so much more compared to other things. What are we doing from an experience standpoint? So you're absolutely right that that those stages is something that we're talking a lot about where you've gone from a pandemic economy to this like bursting of activity and the reopening to now an economy that is normalizing and finding its equilibrium. And that's what you're seeing in terms of the consumer as well. But that the consumer is reflecting a bit about what they can buy at different stages and where the pent up demand lies. Um, so in the early stages of the pandemic, in the spending post data, we saw this extraordinary surge of spending on housing-related items, um, and we saw quite a lot of stockpiling. Um, in the reopening phase, everything was very strong, but particularly this bounce in experience that's led spending. And I think we're still in that environment. If you look at the spending pulse, restaurant spending, we're running about plus 8% year over year. Now, of course, we are still seeing you know that pent-up demand and play out. And I think that's driving that. Whereas if you look at grocery spending, we're running at about half of that pace. Um, so, you know, consumers are still changing. They're still adapting and they're still in a way responding to the environment that they've come out of in the last few years. So the, that balance, that basket of spend is still in an evolution, I think. Do, do, does the data suggest, Michelle, any kind of future? I mean, we don't have, we, we think you have a crystal ball with consumer spending, but, but we know that you don't. But the data is there and you see a lot of it. Are there indications that we could see things down the line that maybe aren't what we are seeing right now? Is, is airfare going to come down? Is travel demand slowing down? Are, are we seeing an uptick more towards goods uh, rather than some of those services? Is there anything you can glean from that? Well, for that, I would turn back to my, you know, just pure economics hat and think about the drivers of consumer spending. And I think the most important one remains the labor market. Um, so monitoring those monthly jobs reports, um, understanding the breadth of job creation across different sectors and looking at what that does for income creation and income growth. So far, the jobs report has been very supportive, right? The last number just south of 200,000 jobs created um, in the month, the unemployment rate holding at 3.5% wage growth remaining above normal. So as long as consumers are employed, they feel like they will continue to have their jobs. So they have some sense of security for the future. Um, I think that there will be comfort around spending. But again, spending in a really, you know, kind of thoughtful way um, around these moments in time where they really, you know, concentrate um, spending. All right. And Michelle, before we let you go, only because you opened the door. So I'm going to blame you for this. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to put your economics hat back on okay. and talk about what your baseline expectations are for the coming quarters and months. 
Uh, a lot's being made of Goldman Sachs's call about rate cuts happening in certain parts of next year, what the baseline mm-hmm. effects are from the futures market. What are your expectations for what 2024 ends up looking like? Look, I think it's an economy that still has a while to go in terms of figuring out its, you know, its steady state, its new steady state. So when you think about the economy this year, the first half of the year, real GDP growth running just above 2% on average, that's an above trend economy. And it's an economy that despite above trend growth is still seeing this slowdown and moderation in inflation. So, you know, it's really evolving in a way that is quite encouraging, but it's not done yet. You know, we're not back down to the first target. We're not in a point where we're at, you know, what you would consider Nehru um, to be for the unemployment rate either. Um, so that's what I think is going to occur as we look ahead is that it, the economy continues to find what that steady state is um, and kind of bumps along the way um, in doing so. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to kind of just monitor the data. I think the high frequency data, I think looking at the consumer is obviously really critical in trying to understand that path forward. All right. Michelle Meyer, always get your thoughts and a bigger picture perspective on the U.S. consumer. Thank you very much. You got it, Don. Thank you. All right. We've got a news alert now. Speaking of the economy and everything else, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she's concerned about the risks of overconcentration of clean energy supply chains being in just a handful of countries. Yellen says the U.S. is working to build resilient, diversified clean energy supply chains in an effort to protect its economic security. Now, the comments are reportedly part of a speech she will give later on today that is expected to touch on the challenges of transitioning away from carbon-based fossil fuels. Well, coming up on the show, checking out one major investment bank, it's shuffling its top picks in the hotel business. The name's being moved around coming up. But first, as we head out to break, some of your morning's top trending stories. Mark Zuckerberg says it's time to move on, at least when it comes to hopes for a cage match with Elon Musk. The Meta CEO posting on his Threads account, he proposed a date to Musk and is ready to compete for charity, but he says Musk won't confirm, claiming that he may need surgery and then wants a practice round before the real thing. The Barbie movie continues to reign at the box office, taking the top spot for the fourth straight weekend. The Warner Brothers film bringing in more than $33 million. It's now, by the way, earned more than half a billion dollars domestically and nearly $1.2 billion worldwide. And looking to splurge on your next vacation. Speaking of, we just talked to Michelle Meyer about this travel website, Florida Panhandle, listing the world's top 10 most expensive destinations. Gustavia, the capital of St. Bart's in the Virgin Islands, coming in at number one with a more than $1,800 per day price tag. Stad, Switzerland, Aspen, Colorado, Park City, Utah, rounding out the top four. Luxury, ultra-rich vacations if you want one and can afford one. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. Morgan Stanley says that NVIDIA remains its top pick in the chip sector heading into the company's earnings report. It has an overweight rating and a $500 price target. Now, it says the recent sell-off in the stock is a good entry point, and Morgan Stanley still expects NVIDIA to meaningfully beat results and raise its guidance. Remember, top performer in the S&P 500 so far this year. It's already up maybe one-tenth of one percent pre-market. Bernstein is downgrading Marriott to a market perform. It says it's taking a pause after the stock has run up more than 40 percent so far this year, saying the short-term upside is limited by valuation and the slowdown of the U.S. luxury side of things. Bernstein is, by the way, moving Hyatt back to its top pick in hotels. 
A Marriott share is little traded so far pre-market. And then Goldman Sachs is upgrading Teledyne to buy from neutral with a $495 price target. Goldman says the maker of engineering and aerospace systems has seen shares pulled back to an attractive valuation, and it sees more upside to earnings expectations. Those Teledyne shares, again, little th- thinly traded in the pre-market. Time now for your global briefing. Wheat prices are, you can see, they're up just about maybe a little bit fractionally, one-tenth of one percent. Freight is uh, in the Black Sea. It didn't freight ship in the Black Sea that didn't respond to a request for inspection and heightened tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Grain supplies in the Black Sea region have been under pressure in recent weeks following the expiration of a deal allowing Ukrainian grain to safely transport to other countries. So they're moving around a bit. Taiwan's vice president vowing this weekend to resist being invaded by China, saying the country will not back down no matter how great the threat of authoritarianism is to Taiwan. The vice president making those remarks during a trip to the United States that China has opposed, calling it a troublemaker visit that is incompatible with peace and stability across Taiwan. And hundreds of Credit Suisse shareholders reportedly getting set to file a claim against UBS due to steep losses from UBS's takeover of Credit Suisse back in March. The class action lawsuit saying that the takeover denied shareholders in both banks the right to vote on the deal and will be submitted under Switzerland's Merger Act. Well, ahead, one of the words that every investor needs to know today. Plus, our next guest says the second half of the year will separate the haves and have-nots in certain sectors. He'll tell us why and what those sectors are. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange here on our air, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. It is Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Goldman Sachs says it expects the Federal Reserve to start cutting rates sometime in the second quarter of next year, forecasting gradual cuts of one quarter of one percent after the initial one. U.S. Steel rejecting an unsolicited offer to be purchased by rival Cleveland Cliffs, calling the multiple proposals ranging from the acquisition of certain assets to a complete takeover, quote-unquote, unreasonable. U.S. Steel also says it's reviewing strategic alternatives. Chinese property giant Country Garden hitting a record low today after the company announced it's suspending trading of at least 10 of its China-traded yuan bonds and is now on the brink of a default. SoftBank is reportedly in talks to purchase the 25% stake in the chipmaker Arm Holdings that is currently held by its Vision Fund ahead of its highly anticipated IPO later on next month. Tesla is cutting prices for two versions of its Model Y SUV by around $1,900 a piece and offering a limited-time insurance subsidy for its Model 3 vehicle amid an ongoing price war for EVs in China. And global rice markets potentially facing some pressure as leading producer China grapples with heavy rains, also flood risks, with Beijing seeing the heaviest rainfall this summer in roughly 140 years. Rough rice now closing at its highest level in roughly 12 years. So here's what to watch this week. Today, it's the deadline for 13 F filings by institutional investment managers. Tomorrow, retail earnings kick off with the results from Home Depot. We also get data on retail prices, import prices, and manufacturing as well. On Wednesday, Target, TJX, and Cisco are out with their earnings reports. We'll also get housing starts figures and minutes from last month's FOMC rate meeting. On Thursday, Walmart and Tapestry report results, and we get the monthly Philly Fed survey 
And we wrap up the busy week with earnings from Deere and Palo Alto Networks. Both of those are on Friday. Also, do not miss Brian Sullivan's exclusive interview with Florida governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. That's tonight on Last Call, 7 p.m. Eastern time. It should be an interesting interview there. Well, let's talk a little bit about where we stand in certain parts of the market. Let's look at real estate specifically, one of the smaller sectors overall in the S&P. And one you can see, by the way, that has handily underperformed the broader market. The real estate select sector spider ticker XLRE is up about one and a half percent on a year to date basis versus the S&P up roughly 17 percent. Now, if you take a look within that sector and real estate overall, you take a look at some of the top performers and they're specific to key parts of the real estate market. Well Tower on the healthcare side of things, Iron Mountain when it comes to things like document trading, data management, that sort of thing, and digital realty, think data centers. Now, for more insight on the markets, let's bring in Chris Merrill, the founder and CEO of Harrison Street. Uh, Chris, the interesting part about real estate right now is we've been focused so much on what has been a red hot residential, single family, home builder type trade. Where exactly then do investors look? when they're looking outside of there for where the potential growth market is for enterprise or business sides of things. No, Dom, thanks for having me. Great, great to be here. You know, again, I think for us and where investors are looking now and you're seeing extreme interest is in need-based assets, assets where demand is consistent. And what, you've, what you're seeing right now is a market where some of the fundamentals have never been better given the challenge in putting together capital. So supply has been choked off in many, many markets where demand has remained consistent and you're seeing great, great growth in in rental revenue. So there are pockets of the market where this has never been a better time to be investing in commercial real estate. It it seems uh, maybe counterintuitive for some of the folks out there, given some of the stresses that we saw in regional banks uh, earlier this year. Uh, A lot of the talk about the exposure to things like commercial real estate from many of these small and medium sized lenders in this country, uh, the threat of rising interest rates to property values and that sort of thing. Amid all of those, where exactly then do you find value in some of those need based assets? What types of companies, what types of real estate? What uh, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, again, our our business for two decades is focused on demographics and it's really looking for assets where, again, demand is consistent throughout cycles. So things around education, healthcare. So big focus for our firm around student housing, both off campus and on campus, big focus on senior housing, medical office, life science, self-storage, data centers, renewable energy. These are assets where you're not trying to time markets, but basically you're seeing right now strong demand, enrollment up at many public universities, You're seeing the 80 plus cohort and population growing in age, needing housing. And at the same time, what's happening is supply has been choked off. So for alternative real estate in these segments, which it's even hard to call alternative because most large property investors now really are not talking that much about traditional real estate. They're talking about the fundamentals and alternatives. There is great opportunities. And that's what we're so excited about is just focusing on need based assets. It's almost like social infrastructure where we can have this consistent demand and offer a great risk-adjusted return to our investors. All right, Chris, that brings us to what we ask oftentimes for our guests here in this time slot, which is their word of the day. Uh, I wonder what your word of the day would be. 
<laughs> I guess I, I sort of already set it down. But the word of the day is demographics. You know, demographics, it's, it's resilience, it's stability, it's long-term demand growth. Demographics bodes well for, in our opinion, any investment strategy, whether in equities or real estate. And so that, that's, a, that's a big focus of our business, and we think it should be for many as they think about investing over the long haul. Do you feel worried at all, Chris, that the pandemic has changed the paradigm for higher education, for the need for student housing, because more and more yeah. people in the future could maybe perhaps go towards virtual learning routes, uh, do their do their kind of coursework away, maybe at home even versus going and staying in a dormitory or an apartment attached to a college or university? You know, it's interesting. This is the sort of second black swan we've been through. First, the global financial crisis and now this. And, you know, before this period of time, that was the discussion in many meetings with with our investors was how was online learning going to affect the university setting? And that was pretty much debunked. I think people recognize that online learning didn't work. Educators didn't like it. Students didn't like it. Parents didn't like it. So for us, it, it showed the asset class is that much more resilient. And we've never seen fundamentals stronger in the student housing sector in, in 15 years. So again, we saw that as well as in senior housing. There was a, a big concern about what was going to happen in senior housing. Well, now the fundamentals, we've had nine straight quarters of positive absorption in senior housing. We've got better fundamentals in senior housing. We have more occupied units now in senior housing than we had pre-pandemic levels. It turned out to be a very safe place to take care of a loved one. So in many ways, the pandemic highlighted the strength of demographic investing. All right. And Chris, we just got a few seconds left here. What do you think about the economy in 2024? You know, again, I, I think there are obviously uncertainties. We're starting to see inflation come into check. I think the nice thing about what we're seeing is people are starting to grasp where we are at peak interest rate levels. And whether they come down in second quarter, third quarter, as I've been talking to some of our key LPs, people are starting to very much be comfortable that there's more clarity in the market as to where we've hit from a rate standpoint. So we're seeing a lot of folks now ready to come back into the market. So, you know, our view is we're going to see a positive environment in, in, in 2024, should see rates top out, maybe come down a little bit. All right. Chris Merrill, thank you very much for the real estate insights. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks for having me, Don. All right. Squawk Box is coming up next, but let's check on futures right now. We are marginally bid, at least we have been for the time being. Fair value, 49 points to the upside. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.